This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insight to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. When COVID first hit the U.S. last March, and we were all at home a lot more, we found ourselves in the kitchen cooking and baking and having dinner together. Now, nearly a year later, and suffice to say, home cooking and family mealtimes are seeing a renaissance. Today on the show, we're going to take a look at how COVID has changed the way we eat and feed our families, what the latest research shows about family meals, and talk about practical ways to make mealtimes easier and more affordable, and connect with your family, whether you're in the dining room or on Zoom. My guest today is Dr. Ann Fischel, the executive director and co-founder of the Family Dinner Project. Dr. Fischel is also a family therapist, clinical psychologist, and associate clinical professor of psychology at the Harvard Medical School and director of the Family and Couples Therapy Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. She is a writer, the author of three books, a speaker, and she has been featured in numerous media outlets, including The New York Times, CNN, ABC News, and NPR. She is also a mom of two. Well, Dr. Fischel, it's so good to welcome you to the Food Issues Podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Great. So I'd like to start today by first talking about what the Family Dinner Project is and what its mission is. Sure. The Family Dinner Project is a nonprofit initiative that's based at Mass General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, and it champions family dinner or really any mealtime as the most reliable time of the day for families to connect through food, fun, and conversation about things that matter. It's based on 25 years of scientific research that shows that family mealtime is great for the body, the brain, and the mental health of kids and adults. And it came about because um, I realized as a family therapist that um, while most parents know when they're surveyed that shared mealtime is a great idea, only about 30 to 40% of families are actually having dinner. And so the Family Dinner Project is meant to kind of bridge that gap to make it easier, more enjoyable, more accessible for more families to get the tremendous um, benefits to mind, body, and brain um, that, that come from shared mealtimes. And so we work online with uh, dozens, hundreds of wonderful resources that families can download from the website, thefamilydinnerproject.org. And then we also work um, in communities. We have big community dinners uh, pre-pandemic. We had them in schools and clinics and homeless shelters and military bases and libraries. Um, We have parent and grandparent workshops. Uh, And during the pandemic, we've been having these community events online. So um, hosting big community dinners online um, and parent workshops as well. Okay, great. So why don't you go ahead and tell me what does research tell us about all the different values of family meals? 
Yeah. So, you know, it turns out that this very ordinary activity just packs such a punch. Um, I kind of half joke when I, I say to families, I could almost be out of business as a family therapist if more families had family dinner, because so many of the things that I try to do in therapy actually happen around the dinner table. Um, so there are you know, 25 years of scientific studies that show that family dinners help with uh, cognitive functioning, the, the vocabulary that young kids learn just from listening to their parents' conversation around the dinner table has more rare words than uh, when kids are read to. And when kids know more words, have a bigger vocabulary, they learn to read earlier and more easily than kids with slimmer vocabularies. And kids in elementary school and high school do better in school when they have regular family dinners. Um, And then in terms of the nutritional benefits, uh, even without trying, family dinners tend to be lower in sugar and salt and fat and um, are associated with better cardiovascular health uh, in teenagers. And um, even when kids leave home, if they've been having family dinner, they, as young adults, when they're on their own, they uh, have lower obesity rates and tend to eat more healthily. And then the mental health benefits um, are really exciting. Um, Regular mealtime is associated with lower rates of eating disorders and depression and substance abuse and tobacco use. And on the positive side, they're associated with kids feeling more connected to their parents and having higher self-esteem and having um, a more positive view of the future. And just recently, well, last few years, there's a growing body of research that suggests that uh, family mealtime are not only good for kids, but they're good for adults in a lot of the same ways that they're, they're mental health benefits for adults um, who eat together uh, and their nutritional benefits as well. That's great. So you talked about kids who eat dinner with their families eat better. And so would you say that research also shows that it increases the amount of fruit and vegetables that they choose for themselves? Yes. When kids and adults eat at home, they tend to eat more vegetables and fruits than they do if they um, get the restaurant equivalents or get fast food. Yeah, I, I definitely see that with my own kids. Whenever we we definitely prioritize family meals, it's a big one for my husband, especially because he grew up having dinner with his family every night. And he always said that that was a big priority for him when he had kids. And I noticed that you know, if we put a big salad on the table, they'll definitely eat it. Whereas in school, they may not because they, they don't see their kids, their, their friends eating it. So it definitely helps. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk now about COVID and what, you know, there's been some research that's come out about the effects the pandemic has had on family meals. Can you talk about what research is suggesting? Although we, we don't know definitively yet. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have some studies going myself, so okay. I'll, I'll, Great. but I don't have the data yet, so uh-huh. I'll, I'll have to uh, call in in a few months when I do, ha- <laughs> yeah. when I do have that. But um, <laughs> there is a study in Canada, the Guelph study, um, 
And that was done fairly early in the pandemic, I think late spring. And they found that 70% of families were cooking more during the pandemic than they had previously, that half of the parents were involving their kids more in cooking, and that 55% were eating more regular meals. And then there's a study uh, more recent in Britain, uh, Snugs and McGregor, um, and they found that there were two mealtime goals that changed during the pandemic. One, which was a little surprising to me, was that the ease of preparation became less important. As though now that families had more time to spend on making food, they weren't so interested in shortcuts. Um, and that family involvement became more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were also uh, some findings about um, financial constraints during during the pandemic, that there was less money to spend on food and that families were having to, to buy more expensive food and um, were having a harder time finding a, a variety of food. Right. Um, so, and then another study in obesity, uh, the, the journal Obesity um, found that overall sc- scores for healthy eating have increased uh, due to families eating out less and doing more cooking. Um, and there was also less, brec- there is less bre- breakfast skipping and right. less fried food eating, but more eating of sweets and sugar-sweetened beverages, Right, I think makes sense as we're looking for little ways to, um, you know, give us a, a little dopamine hit uh, <laughs> right. when the days are, are long and tedious. Yeah, absolutely. And kids are home more and snacking yep. more. But would you say the family meals, still the value of family meals and the fact that families are prioritizing them, they still outweigh those downsides? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't mean to sound gloomy at all. I yeah, think, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think um, family mealtime has never been more important than it is during the pandemic. It's a it's a way that families can come together in their sort of quirky ways, you know, with who sits where is (laughs) idiosyncratic to families and what we eat and what we talk about. So it's a way of sort of once a day or twice a day saying, this is who we are as a family, you know, Um, and because it's a ritual, something that you do over and over again, it provides some continuity and some stability. Um, and, you know, I think that's as important to kids as to adults. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, having a, a chance once a day to sort of push back and just settle into a um, comforting and enjoyable ritual uh, is something that families are really um, needing and leaning into during the pandemic. Absolutely. And so you spoke a little bit about breakfast and there's some been, been some research that has shown that that families are also eating breakfast more together. And so would you say that, you know, is there a reassuring message here that it doesn't have to be dinner and, you know, other other meals throughout the day, even lunch together can can have the same value? Absolutely. I mean, even though the family dinner project has dinner right in it. Um, uh, really any meal where 
families come together and it's intentional and there's conversation and there's enjoyment and kids have a chance to talk and feel listened to. It could be breakfast, it could be lunch, it could be dinner. There are really 16 opportunities during the week for families to do this. Seven breakfasts, seven lunches, I mean, seven dinners and actually seven lunches during the pandemic. And even um, an intentional snack, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, nine o'clock where everybody pushes back from their computers and meets in the kitchen for fruit and hot chocolate, that would also be beneficial. Okay. Okay, great. So, you know, research is also looking at the rates of anxiety uh, during the pandemic, especially among our children. And so would you say that there are, or would you say, what are the ways of families, family meals can help parents help their children better cope with all of these challenges, anxiety, and the uncertainties of the pandemic? Yeah. So I think, you know, just having a regular meal time is really helpful um, in that way that daily rituals are protective uh, because they uh, remind kids that this is who we are. This is our identity as a family. Some things haven't changed. We still eat together just like we did before. Um, I think it's also helpful for kids to contribute to the dinner, whether it's setting the table or stirring the soup, or maybe as kids get a little bit you know, into elementary school and certainly in high school to invite them to make a course or to help clean up. Um, these are things that not only encourage kids then to be stakeholders and to be more likely to eat what's on offer, but I think it also gives them a sense of um, control and uh, a little bit of purpose and meaning, you know, that we're contributing to the family, to the, the health and the well-being of the family. So I think that's another way that mealtime can be particularly helpful during these tough times. Mm-hmm. And then I think that there are um, playing some games at the table. You know, it, it, it's hard to rely on our old chestnuts like, um, you know, how was your day? Because <laughs> we've been spending our days together, we, we don't right. really have to ask that. So it, it requires a little bit more creativity. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think there's some games that, that families can play that add some lightness, but also can lead to some interesting conversations. And here I'm thinking about one that's, um, I think, been helpful to a lot of families I know during the pandemic. It's called 20 Questions About a Family Memory. And each person thinks about um, a memory where everybody was present. And then people have to ask yes, no questions to try to guess what the memory is. So like, was it on a vacation or was anybody crying? Were we under the age of six? Um, And eventually, you know, the memory gets guessed and then it's somebody else's turn. And what I love about this game is that it reminds kids that We've had other experiences together. You know, it might feel like we've been in this pandemic for 20 years, but actually that's not so. Um, And it's also quite surprising what kids remember. Sometimes parents have no memory or what kids remember seemed so random or so slim. Um, And it's also a chance for parents to share a memory that they found was really important to them that they want their kids to hold on to. 
So <clears throat> that's one game that I think is very pandemic friendly. That's great. Um, I love that. And then um, a rose, a thorn, and a bud. Uh, a rose is something that was happy or funny that happened today. A thorn is something difficult or challenging. And a bud is something you hope will happen tomorrow. Or great. pandemic edition is um, cactus and bud. So, you know, the, the thorns on a cactus, what's difficult, what's been difficult today? And the buds are, you know, what we hope will happen tomorrow. That's great. Do you think that family meals are an opportunity for parents to help their children problem solve, especially because distance learning is so challenging? Um, absolutely. I mean, it's a time to problem solve. It's a time to uh, check in on problems before they get too big. Um, I think it's also a chance to share some family stories. Um, and there's research that suggests that Kids who know their family stories uh, are more resilient. Um, and during the pandemic, these might be stories about other family members who survived major world events like wars or depression or the AIDS epidemic. And, you know, I may not have told you this story about your grandfather um, and when he was stationed uh, in the Galapagos, but I want to tell you this story now. And I wonder what advice they would, might have for us now or telling stories from our own history of our own family. You know, what have we already faced uh, where we overcame adversity? Absolutely. Uh, losing a job or a broken water pipe or um, losing a pet. Um, so, you know, I think telling these stories sometimes over and over again can be very helpful for kids to hear. That's great. So let's move on to virtual meals and meals over Zoom. So, you know, we often see this uh, in the media a lot and, and there are families who are doing this, but do you think that they're an effective way to connect even though you're from a distance? I do. I, I, I've been surprised at um, how effective and, and pleasant they are. Um, I think they're an opportunity for families to connect with extended family who they wouldn't be able to get together with anyway. Um, and, you know, I've seen this particularly around holidays where um, people are, are connecting with their families from across the country uh, who, you know, they might not have seen in person, even under the best of circumstances. Um, and it, you know, certainly an opportunity to connect with uh families who have kids in college or young adults who are living on their own. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not the same because you can't smell the food and you can't, you can't be eating the same thing. So it's not quite as communal, although, you know, there's some ways around that. Um, sometimes you can uh, start the, the virtual meal uh, cooking. So you're actually cooking together albeit apart. Yeah, that's um, great. Or you're making the same food so that you can sort of compare <laughs> recipes. Yeah. Or you can, you know, sort of be a little bit more playful and make it into like an iron chef where if you're having a virtual meal, let's say with three different people, each person might suggest an 
ingredient and then everybody has to make at least one dish with all three ingredients. That's fine. Um, That's yeah. Great. So, you know, I think there are ways to be um, playful about it and uh, to try some different things that, that maybe you even could do in person. Right. That's great. All right. Well, so with that, Dr. Fischel, we're going to take a break. If you're like me, you want to get a healthy and delicious dinner on the table every night. But with everything you have to do, there's no time to meal plan and search for recipes. But with the Dinner Daily, you don't have to. The Dinner Daily isn't a meal kit, but a personalized dinner planning service that sends you meal plans and an organized grocery shopping list built around your food preferences, dietary needs, and family size. And it's the only service that uses your grocery store's weekly specials to help you save money, up to $1,200 a year or more. The Dinner Daily works with 16,000 grocery stores across the country, and they offer one-click ordering at Kroger stores nationwide and select stop-and-shop stores. The recipes are so healthy and delicious too. My kids love the taco salad and the confetti corn. The Dinner Daily not only saves you money on your grocery bill, but new members get two weeks free. And right now you can try it for 15% off with the code HEALTH15. Just go to thedinnerdaily.com and use code HEALTH15. And now let's get back to this week's episode of Food Issues. Great. So in our last segment, we were talking about virtual meals and Iron Chef and all these creative ways that we can connect with family, especially if we're not with them. We're trying to keep our own family safe. And so moving on to, um, you know, with parents working from home and kids, most kids on distance learning or on a hybrid model or just simply being at home more, um, we're, we're definitely spending a lot more time together. But I from my own experience, would say that getting a healthy dinner on the table isn't really any easier. You know, in my home, I'm still trying to squeeze in as much work as I can while my kids are doing distance learning. And then sometimes I'm scrambling by the time dinner time rolls around. And so how can parents let go of perfection and still prioritize family meals? Yeah, that's, it's a great question. And, um, I think it's a really important thing to be able to do, even when we go back to whatever the new normal will be. Um, The first thing I would say is that all the wonderful benefits that I talked about earlier don't come from the food, or they don't mainly come from the food. Um, The benefits mainly come from what happens once the food comes to the table. So the benefits don't come from a perfectly cooked chicken that you've slaved over or organic tomatoes. They come from the atmosphere around the table. You know, if it's warm and welcoming and kids feel free to talk and there's laughter and there's stories, that's really what's important. Um, so that said, of course, you can't have a family meal without the food. So, um, you know, I think there are a lot of ways to make that easier. Um, there are shortcuts like, uh, buying a rotisserie chicken or getting the vegetables pre-cut. Um, there's making double batches and freezing half of it. So next week you've got a, a meal just ready to go that just has to be defrosted. Um, making breakfast foods or lunch foods, you know, soup and sandwich or eggs that can be thrown together pretty quickly. Um, 
making one dish that can be customized, like a, a chicken rice soup that people can add their own ingredients to. Um, when I've worked with military families, I've heard from them that they, uh, when there are a lot of single parents because their spouses are deployed, uh, they'll get together in groups of five and each one will make five times a particular meal and then they'll swap. So they leave with five meals for the week, but they've only cooked once. That's great. Um, so that, that seems to be a, a good, a good shortcut. There are some great suggestions uh, in our book, Eat, Laugh, Talk, uh, about shortcuts and um, ways to make meals that take less than 30 minutes. And there's also a, a resource on our website, a free uh, dinner tonight that you can get um, sent to you daily. That's a meal that takes less than 30 minutes, fewer than eight ingredients with a game and a conversation starter um, for every day of the week. Yeah, that's great. Some of the things that have helped our family are uh, meal planning. Yes. And my kids love it. I write what's what we're eating for the week on a chalkboard and there's no questions. They know exactly what we're going to eat and they look forward to it. Um, and then another thing we do that I sort of came up with just because there were leftovers. We have buffet night. You know, it's it really depends on if you call it something fun and creative, they're excited, but it's really just leftovers. <laughs> and I put it out and and everyone gets to choose what they want. And and it really just makes dinner time so much quicker and easier. I love those ideas. Um, it reminds me of the idea of, of theme nights that I think a lot of families use for the same reason. It sort of um, perks up whatever you're making, and it also helps sort of focus the mind. Um, like, you know, wake up Wednesday might be breakfast, a breakfast for dinner or meatless Mondays or thrifty Thursdays or favorite Fridays when family members take a turn picking what they want for, for that night. That's a great um, idea. And no, I was also thinking about your leftover, uh, idea, um, where you could put the food out, the left out, uh, leftovers out and each, each person would pick what they wanted and then would create a face out of the food or a house or a car. Great. Yeah. And the, you know, the only rule is you have to eat what you make. Um, <laughs> but that, that would also be a let, letting go of perfection, you know? Right. Right. Um, yeah. That's great. Those are great ideas. So when the U S returns to what everyone calls the new normal or whatever normal will be. Do you think that people will still be cooking and sharing family meals as much as they do now? I certainly hope so. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think I feel pretty optimistic that the rates of people eating together are going to be much higher than they were pre pandemic because, um, you know, Parents have always known that family mealtime is a good idea. Um, they've known it sort of intellectually, but now they've had the experience for what will basically be a year. And I think that family mealtime will have um, shown families really 
what the benefits are, you know, more than reading about it or knowing intellectually that it's good for you, that it will have been its own reward. In other words, um, it will have been a time to look forward to. It will have been a time to uh, feel that bond and connection with your kids. Um, families will have discovered that they learn things uh, about their kids' days and the way their kids think that they don't riding around in the car or um, in, the, in the other ways that, that we interact with kids. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, yes, uh, after the pandemic, when we get to this new normal, um, there will be an uptick in families enjoying the, the pleasures and the benefits of, of regular meal times. Okay, great. So when the pandemic started uh, in the U.S., most families or many families were finding themselves in the kitchen stress baking. And so, you know, there's so much research that shows that cooking with kids can really encourage healthy eating. Um, but, you know, and baking is so much fun with kids. Kids love it. They get a sweet treat at the end. It's it's pretty straightforward. But yeah. would you say it has the same positive impact on families and kids as cooking does? I would. I, you know, I think as our worlds have become more and more virtual, and gosh, that's even more true during the pandemic, there, there's so few things that we can do that involve our senses and our hands and that we can make together. You know, we're not generally making furniture together or um, farming together, you know, doing other sort of creative, sensual acts, but cooking and baking you know, are so accessible for families to do. And baking um, has a sort of added scientific processes embedded in them, as well as creative ones. You know, you can see what happens if you leave the cookies in for two more minutes than you did for the first batch, or um, what happens if you add a little bit more yeast to the bread. Uh, or you whip those meringues with a little bit more air. Um, so, you know, I think it can encourage a sort of hypothesis testing and a um, seeing what happens when you change different elements of the baking process. And then, you know, is there anything more gratifying than baking something that brings pleasure to, to those you love? Um, you know, that's such a it's such a wonderful thing for kids to be, to partake in, to make a delicious cupcake that can be shared with uh, a neighbor or with people around the dinner table. Um, yeah, that's a great point. I never thought of that. My kids bake a lot and sometimes they bake on their own and I walk into the kitchen and there's flour everywhere, but I never thought, why not bake a, a double batch and give it to a neighbor? I love that. Yeah. Right. Great. So we talked about some games, which were great ideas, but can you talk a little bit a little bit more about some conversation starters? Like what should we be talking about at the dinner table and how can we, you know, for older kids not make conversations so awkward maybe, or, you know, what are some ways to, to get kids to connect with us? Yeah. Um, so I have a couple of ideas. Um, one is to have a, 
a jar on the kitchen table or the dining room table, wherever your family gathers, and to put little uh, slips of paper with conversation starters on them in the jar that can be drawn out at random. And you could download hundreds of these off our website at thefamilydinnerproject.org. But just to sort of get in the spirit of this, um, some of these might be, um, if you had a superpower, what would it be and how would you use it? Or um, what character in a book would you want as a friend? Or what's your earliest memory? Or what are two things that you're thankful for? So, you know, you, you might engage your, your children in picking out these conversation starters and stuffing them in a jar, or you might pick them out yourself and see how they went over. So that would be one idea. That's great. Um, and then another idea is to mix it up a little bit, maybe, you know, once a week or whatever, and do dinner in a movie. Um, so, you know, this, I'm thinking about a, a family, uh, who we write about in Eat, Laugh, Talk, uh, the book that, that we wrote as a, as a team that was based on, um, 10 years of working with families through the family dinner project. And one of these families was a, a man named Scott who was divorced. He had three kids and he had the kids, uh, with him every weekend. And he, very much wanted to have dinner uh, with them, but they would scarf down the food and uh, go to their screens. So one night he had this brainstorm and he said, kids, come to the kitchen and just humor me. We're going to make ratatouille over pasta. <laughs> and they, they made it. And then he sat them down and he put the film ratatouille on the TV and they watched the film while they ate their ratatouille. And he would stop it from time to time. And they would compare their handiwork with what was being made on the screen. And sometimes he would stop it and they would critique various scenes. Um, but, you know, the idea is that here's another way to have something interesting and playful for families to talk about. Um, and I, we did a We've done a partnership with Common Sense Media, um, and we have lots of ideas about films that you can watch with your family and foods that you might make that go with the films and conversation topics that could arise from the particular films. That's so great. That, you know, that might be something else that um, could be fun for families. That's great. So I love that idea. And it brings me to my next question about devices at the mm. table and watching TV. I know in our house, I am completely against watching TV while we eat. I hate that, you know, my husband has his cell phone at the table and, and I'm guilty of it too. And my kids will call me out on it for sure. But <laughs> how do you feel about that, about having devices, cell phones, watching TV, music playing in the background? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's not um, one one rule fits all families. Okay. Um, so I, I did a survey a few years ago on tech use at the table and found that parents were twice as likely to have their gadgets as their kids were. So that would be a place <laughs> I would start is um, that that parents really need 
to lead the way and that uh-huh. um, the rules need to be the same. Yeah. So the rule could be, as with, you know, your husband's suggestion, absolutely no gadgets, you know, check them at the door or put them in a basket. And anybody who reaches for a gadget has to do the dishes that night, you know, very hard line. Um, and then some families have a, a, a policy of it's okay to bring out a phone if you want to share something, like if you want to share a photo that you took or you want to read a funny email that you got. Um, what you want to avoid is having conversations with people who aren't at the table because that doesn't that makes people not feel so good. Like, why are you interested in somebody who's not even here? Why aren't I enough? Right. Um, and then I think, you know, some other families use it just to f- um, settle disputes, you know, who who won the uh, World <laughs> Series in 1984? You know, <laughs> let's look that up. So yeah. that might be a, uh, another workaround or another uh, reason to have uh, tech at the table. Okay. I think music is a different um, animal altogether. You know, I think yeah. um, it can be really fun, particularly for teenagers, to pick a uh, playlist of their favorite music of the of the week and maybe um, talk a little bit about it. Um, it. It's sort of a window into what kids are really absorbed by and thinking about. Um, often music is, is a place that that shows up, so that can be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, music can just set a, a different tone or m- make a meal feel special. Yeah. Um, there is research about TV watching, particularly young kids watching TV during mealtime that it's associated with um, overeating um, because kids tend to eat less mindfully when they have a TV on and so would be more likely to eat more than they really are hungry for. Yeah, right. Okay, great. So it's well known that Many families are dealing with food insecurity right now with many people losing their jobs. Um, what are some frugal ways that people can get dinner on the table most nights of the week? Yeah, I mean, this is such a serious topic. I think um, there was a recent study in pediatrics uh, that said that food insecurity is now affecting double or even triple the number of kids in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to have a solution to that, right. uh, which is, you know, so systemic and structural. Um, we do have on at the family dinner project, we have budget friendly dinner tonights. So these are recipes that um comport with SNAP and WIC guidelines of $1.40 a person. Okay. Um, so that that would be a resource. Um, and I think in general, uh, making double batches or triple batches tend to be more economical um, and freezing some, uh, as, as I said earlier, Frozen vegetables are almost as good in terms of uh, nutritional value and tend to be less expensive than fresh vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, um, eggs and beans are excellent sources of 
of protein and fiber um, and are, are quite budget friendly. Yeah, absolutely. We do a lot of beans in our house and lentils because they really are super cheap. You get a bag of dried beans or lentils, you soak them, cook them, and you can have several meals throughout the week. So it's a great way to, to save money. Definitely. Okay, great. So let's talk a little bit about boredom. Um, you know, <laughs> now that families are cooking and sharing family meals, <laughs> night after night, the same, you know, chicken dinner can get really boring. And so what are some ways they can beat that boredom and, and change things up a bit? Yeah, well, um, I th- you know, I think we've talked about some of the ideas. Like one is um, theme nights. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another is uh, not relying just on dinner foods, but mixing it up with breakfast foods like egg dishes or waffles or pancakes. Um, Having a dinner that's all snack size foods, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, one entree and two vegetables. It could be lots of different snacks that are healthy. That's great. Like Um, an appetizer only meal. Exactly. That's great. Yeah. Um, you know, I think playing with food, assembling your own salads and, you know, making them into shapes and so on, um, teaching kids to cook and having, uh, them, uh, make a a course or two, uh, particularly for, for older kids. I think sometimes switching up where you eat, um, you know, having laying a blanket on the on the floor and having a a picnic or uh, eating the meal backwards. Um, okay, that's great. <laughs> or eating eating the meal in a different room than you usually do, or even switching chairs. You know, we we tend to sit in the same seats, um, and even just a small thing of uh, eating in a different seat can make things feel a little fresher um, or having dinner in bed uh, that can be a little messy, but uh-huh. <laughs> you, could, you could do that. Um, so yeah, those are, those are some ideas that, that come to mind. That's great. Those are really great ideas. So in what ways can families get more help and get involved with the Family Dinner Project and, and learn more about these food issues? Um, well, uh, definitely come visit the website, thefamilydinnerproject.org. Um, and you could sign up to get dinner tonights or budget-friendly dinner tonights. Those come once a week and the dinner tonight's come every day. Uh, there's a monthly newsletter that has great recipes and games and conversation ideas around a theme. Um, this month it's about uh, mental health, how to talk about mental health and how to improve mental health during the pandemic. But there's also been um, monthly newsletters about STEM at the dinner table or uh, going back to school or um, holiday ideas to for virtual holidays and, and so on. So there are you know, lots, of, lots of things to explore on the website. And then there's our book, Eat, Laugh, Talk, which is um, 52 weeks of 
easy recipes, games and conversation starters that are based on our 10 years of working with families. And each week has a story about a family that we've met during these 10 years of working with families. And all of the um, profits from that book go to support our programs. Um, And during the pandemic, we've contributed uh, over 120,000 of our resources into emergency food boxes and food pantries so that when families get their emergency food, they also have some tools and some ideas about um, making that dinner more enjoyable uh, with games and conversation starters. Great. Well, we'll definitely include those links in the show notes. And Dr. Fischel, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate all of your information and insight and advice for our families. Oh, such a pleasure to be talking with you. And I'll look forward to to, uh, tuning into this podcast. Thank you so much. I'm Julie Revelant, and thank you for tuning into this episode of Food Issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review or share it with a friend. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter at julierevelant.com for exclusive updates and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 